Last year, I did a, a study through the book of Revelation, and it was, it was so meaningful to me. And I, I, there were a few passages in the book of Revelation that were especially meaningful, and it's one of those that I'm going to share with you again. As it seems like with, with every year that passes, I get just a stronger and stronger sense that the Lord's return is imminent, and He's coming soon and very soon. And that's one of the reasons I've chosen this passage, because this, this passage, uh, I've given it a title and a, an appropriate response. It's from Revelation chapter 22, verses 6 through 12. And what, what this passage speaks to is there, there's uh, some of the, the appropriate responses or, or applications we get from all of the book of Revelation. So anyway, that's, that's what I would like to, to talk about tonight. Uh, this, the passage, uh, again, is Revelation chapter 22, verses 6 through 12. And that, this is part of what is called the epilogue to the, the, the book of Revelation. The epilogue is uh, chapter 22, verses 6 through 21. And that, but th- this passage has some, some just final words of encouragement to us as believers, to, to the church, and some words of comfort as well. So if you are able, would you please stand and follow along with me as I read Revelation chapter 22, verses 6 through 12. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and all of, all of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this book, which uh, promises a very special blessing to those who to read and to those who hear it. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us and what our, our response to you should be. Lord, in light of all of these things that you have done and, and will be doing, Lord, how should we re- respond to that? What should the application be for us? So I pray that you speak to our hearts tonight. Minister your truth to us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now I'm going to take you through a, kind of a condensed view. You actually may be seated. Uh, I, I'm going to take you through kind of a condensed version of uh, the first 21 chapters of the book of Revelation. Because up to this point in the book of Revelation, we're, we're taking through this amazing sweep of, of future history all the way into the eternal state. And so after that, all that's left for John to do is to give us a divine postscript. And uh, by this time in future history, uh, all the good and gracious purposes of God are, are, uh, are going to be um, the things that he purposed to do from the beginning of the foundation of the world. All of those things will be fulfilled. And the devastating judgments of the book of Tre- Tre- of tribulation, of the tribulation, will have been carried out, and their memory will be no more. 
And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ by that time will have returned in glory. Amen. He will have defeated his enemies, and he'll be, be reigning on the earth. In fact, he, he will reign for a thousand years. And so at that time, all the, all the rebels, uh, both the angels and humans, will have been finally dealt with. Uh, the present universe will have been uncreated, so to speak, um, and the new eternal kingdom uh, of heaven is going to be recreated. And, uh, and, and in this new creation, our, our Lord Jesus, uh, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is going to reign with the Father in eternity. Now, the holy angels uh, uh, and all the redeemed of all the ages are, are going to live in eternal bliss with him in this new creation, and especially in, in heaven's capital city, the new Jerusalem. And from his throne, in the center of this new Jerusalem, in this majestic city, you know, the brilliant glory of God is going to shine out into the universe. And holiness is going to characterize all who are there in this kingdom. And they, we, uh, will constantly praise God and we will worship him and serve him throughout eternity and in this place of perfect peace and joy. Um, now, you know, that, that is heaven. That's a description of heaven. Now, I know I, I've told you a lot of things, but that is all of the things that have taken place in the first 21 chapters of the book of Revelation. Now, I also want to talk about uh, th this epilogue that we're, that we're working, looking at tonight. Is, it's kind of like a bookend to the prologue, which is in the, the first chapter of the book of Revelation. And that's in, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, is the prologue. And then in the chapter we're looking at tonight, the passage is called the epilogue. But in, in those verses, uh, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says this, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So this, this prologue that I've just read, it introduces the, the theme of the book of Revelation, and that is the revealing, or the second coming, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the, the epilogue gives a, like a fitting conclusion to the book of Revelation by pointing out, in verses 6 through 12, what, what our responses should be to everything that's been taught in the book of Revelation. Now, these, these seven verses tell us believers how it is that we should respond in light of the imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, I'm, one thing I'm certain about this passage, it is trying to convey to us a sense of urgency about the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, that his return is imminent. And I believe that's what the, the truth of this passage is wanting to, wanting to communicate to us. You know, we, we get that sense of urgency from an expression that Jesus uses here. Behold, I am coming soon. Uh, Jesus says that three times in this chapter. He says it in, in verses 7, verse 12, and, and verse 20. And that is the main point of the passage. And, and we see that, that phrase used three other times later on in the book of Revelation. Um, excuse me, it's in three other places earlier. In, uh, in 3.11... In 3.11, it's a promise of blessing, uh, just as, as we've seen here in chapter 22. But then in, in chapter 2, verse 5, and, and 2, verse 16, where he is addressing the churches, Jesus uses the phrase, Behold, I am coming soon, uh, as a warning 
to the churches to repent before he comes in judgment. Back in chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus warns the church that he is going to be coming at an unexpected time, uh, like a coming thief. And uh, I, I think that's very interesting that Jesus is going to come like a thief. Uh, it, it, because when he comes, it isn't uh, to steal something, but to take back what is rightfully his already. And he can't steal anything because everything already belongs to him. Uh, but I don't want us to miss the point, and, and that is that, that Jesus could rapture his church at any moment. And he could set in motion all of these end-time events that are, are written about in the book of Revelation. And so we believers need to be ready. And you know, as, as we read through the New Testament, I, I think it should be apparent to us that the first generation church believed in the imminent return of Jesus Christ and that, you know, that it could happen at any moment. And you know, they were certain that Jesus would return one day, but they were uncertain about, about when that event would be. And because they, they didn't know when he might return, they very wisely lived in expectation of his imminent return. And so we've seen a number, a number of passages in the New Testament that, that the, the first generation church believed in this imminent return of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul commended uh, the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.7 because, as he said, you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. And near the, near the end of his first letter to the, the Corinthians in chapter 16 and verse 22, he, he wrote the, this untranslated word, Maranatha, which means, come, O Lord. And that word apparently you know, became an expression that was used within the, the early church to express their longing for, for Christ to return. And um, Paul, saw, Paul also wrote to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3 and, and verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he commended the Thessalonians because they, they turned from God to serve, uh, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. And that is from 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 9 and 10. But then, then in his second letter to the Thessalonians, uh, he had to rebuke those believers because they were just uh, so preoccupied with the second coming that they were no longer working and providing for themselves. And that is, that's from 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 10 through 12. And so, so the, the early church you know, may have drawn some, uh, some improper conclusions about Jesus' return, but they still they believed in his imminent return. And uh, Paul reminded Titus that Christians are to wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's in Titus 2.13. And uh, James encouraged his readers also, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. In James 5, 7. And then in his, his, uh, his first letter, the Apostle John told his readers, which includes us, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves 
as he is pure. And those, those are quotes from 1 John 2, 28 and uh, 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. And now I might be, may just be belaboring the point a little bit, uh, but I just want to emphasize that the early Christians lived in anticipation of our Savior's coming again. And so now getting back to our, our text for tonight, the, the re repetition of that phrase, behold, I'm coming soon, in, in verses 7 and 12, reinforces that truth of Christ's imminent return. Now that the adverb soon in that, in that verse is translated from the Greek taku, sounds like where we get tachometer, and it, it can be translated as quickly, meaning Jesus saying, I'm, I'm coming quickly, but it is, doesn't refer to the speed at which Jesus, the, the, the speed with which Jesus will return. Um, but instead, it, it is the, the idea before long. Therefore, it's, it's translated as soon, because he is poised to return at any moment. And the, you know, as, as this epilogue opens in verse 6, John says that the angel that had shown him the, the new Jerusalem spoke to him, and the, the angel said this, these words are trustworthy and true. These words are heaven's testimony uh, that all that John had seen and all that John had heard uh, throughout his vision, all of that is valid and is true. The angel says the same thing that God himself had said earlier in chapter 2 and verse 15 when he told him, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Now, the, the expression faithful and true is also used twice in the book of Revelation as a title for our Lord Jesus Christ, him being faithful and true. And the, the words of Revelation also are, are faithful and true and uh, trustworthy and true, just as trustworthy is the one who revealed these things to John. And so to that I would add, though, that all of God's word is trustworthy and is true. But these angels' words, the angels words make a, a very important point. And, you know, every, everything that John has seen in Revelation so far, all of those things are going to come to pass. And what the inspired writer John wrote for us here, it isn't something mystical. It, it isn't a, a record of his strange, strange dreams or a figment of his imagination. But, and, and it isn't an allegory that, that we can just draw multiple meanings from or hidden meanings, but it's an accurate description of things and people that are yet to come. And uh, so, uh, verses 18 and 19, uh, this, this chapter give us a, a very serious warning about tampering with the truth that, that is in the book of Revelation. It says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to him, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. Now I've noticed in this, this uh, verse that there are, uh, the, the quotation marks are placed differently in different translations. The New American Standard and the, and the New King James put quotes around the, the phrase, these words are trustworthy and true, and then they attribute the rest of that to the Apostle John. But the, the NIV puts the quotes around the, the whole passage and attribute all of this saying to, to the angel. You know, but either way, whether it's John that's speaking or the, the angel who's affirming this truth, it still means the same thing. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, 
sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Now the, the, uh, the angel's testimony and what John saw and what he heard is the truth, and it's going to take place. You know, the God who, who moved the, the spirits of the, his spokesmen, the prophets, in times past to inspire both the writing of the Old Testament and the New Testaments is the same God who sent his angel to show the servants what must, you know, his servants what must soon take place. Now, the word servants is translated from the Greek doulos, and it can also mean bondservant or slave, and I actually prefer the, the uh, translation of slave. But, you know, however that we understand that, that word, it refers to, to us believers. We are his servants. And, and what's important about this verse is that it, it, it claims full and complete inspiration of the book of Revelation. And the prophecies that are, are given by those earlier biblical prophets were fulfilled literally, and so will the prophecies of the book of Revelation be literally fulfilled. And so the exact fulfillment of the, those earlier prophecies, like we had in, in the Old Testament, they give us a pattern for these future prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. God's record and prophecy is absolutely perfect. Well, he predicted that, that Israel would go into captivity, and the nation did. He predicted that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, in Micah 5, 2, uh, to a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14, and be killed by sinners, Isaiah 53, verses 7 through 10. And all of those things came to pass. So when God predicts these future events, as he does in the book of Revelation, things like the rapture of the church, the rise of the Antichrist, the judgments that God will pour out on the earth during the time of the Great Tribulation, the battle of Armageddon, the second coming of Jesus Christ and the, his thousand-year kingdom, the, the millennium, you know, uh, those events are, are going to happen just as God said they would in his word. God is going to do exactly what he said. And God, God said so himself about that in Isaiah 49, excuse me, 46, verses 9 through 11. Remember the for, former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Truly I have spoken. Truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. And then a, a similar passage, and it's one of my favorite verses in, in the Bible from Numbers 23, 19. God, God gave this message to Balaam, the, the prophet for hire. He said, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Now, the, the thing that I really love about the, this passage in verses 7 through 12 is, is that it has a number of, of great applications for us as believers. And each, each of those, these applications that are, are listed here are, are a response to the reality of our Lord's imminent return. And the applications are these, and I'm going to list them, and then I'll go back and talk about them individually. But, the, but these applications are, are, first, our obedience, second, our worship, and then the sharing the gospel, and lastly, our Christian service. And verse 7 gives us, gives us that, first, that first application, uh, and that is obedience. He says, Jesus says, Look, I am coming soon. 
Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. On the Greek text, the first word there is kai, and. and this is a, a bit subtle, but what this is doing is it's introducing a new speaker now. Uh, just like it, it will again in verse 8. The speaker is no longer the angel who spoke in verse 6, but the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is coming very soon. So if you, you have a red letter Bible, this would be very, very obvious, you know, that, that the speaker in ver, verse 7 is our Lord Jesus. And uh, this is one of the, uh, the sixth of seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation, where Jesus says, blessed is the one who. He says in this verse, blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy written in this scroll. And so, you know, th three, other, three other times, uh, the words of this book in Revelation are, are called prophecy, in verses 10, 18, and 19. And, and Revelation, uh, me, prophecy, Revelation is mostly about future predictions and promises. But, but what I really want to focus on in this verse is the word keeps. Um, it's translated from, from the word uh, tereo, uh, which means to, to hold fast or to cling to. And so this is telling us that we should hold fast and cling to these promises and these prophecy. And uh, this word is also used in, in Revelation 14, 12 to describe the endurance on the part of the people who keep his commands and, and remain faithful to Jesus. And so the, the word keep, as it's used here, is a call for us to obey the teaching in the book of Revelation. And you know, actually, we should be obeying all the teaching of the, of the Bible um, is because our Lord Jesus said in, in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then he, he, Jesus also added in John 14, 21, um, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. And uh, this, this is something that the, the Apostle John also emphasized in his letters. Um, he wrote in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You know, and so the point is, is that uh, we believers want to live as if Jesus could come at any moment. So we want to, to keep his word. We want to obey it. You know, and, and so those who expect Jesus to come at any moment will be you know, walking, walking in obedience. And so you know, as I was reading this uh, a few months ago, I just, the question came to my mind, if, if this book is future prophecy, how is it? that we can obey it? Or how is it that we can keep it? Something that is, is prophetically speaking about the future. And um, you know, in the book of Revelation, there's a, there's a few commands to the churches in and, and chapters 2 and chapter 3. But in chapters 4 through, through 22, there really aren't any specific commands for us to obey. And, and so then how are we then to keep or to obey the book of Revelation? And, and I, so I, I think this is just a, a general command for us to long for our Lord Jesus Christ's return and to look forward to our eternal fellowship with him. And uh, you know, we really should truly desire to see, see Jesus come and to establish his right, righteous kingdom here on earth. And you know, it seems like the way that our, our society is trending, I, I long more and more to see that day when Jesus establishes his righteous kingdom here on earth. And, um, and I, I believe that after reading the book of Revelation, 
we believers should love Jesus more and, it should, and, and should live our lives in light of this, this future reality. And so, you know, because keep, keeping all these things in mind, I believe, will help to, to disconnect us from the, from the values of this present world so that we can live for what is of eternal value. And, and see, God did not give us the book of Revelation just to, to satisfy our curiosity about future events or his plans, even though the book does that. Um, God gave us this book to reveal the glory of his son and to call us believers to live godly lives, obedient lives, in light of his soon return. You know, it should motivate, motivate us to godly living. And this is some, something that the, the Apostle Peter also taught, that our knowledge of end-time events should, could, should cause us to, to live godly lives. In 2 Peter 3, uh, Peter writes about, about that, that future day of the Lord, uh, the, the destruction of this, this current universe and, and the coming of the new heaven and the new earth. And after that, after he, he gives us a description of that, he, he says in 2 Peter 3, verses 11 through 14, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And, and that is the application. You know, the, the beauty of these, these future realities written about in the book of Revelation they, they move us to believers, move us believers to, to live more and more fully for our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he could return at any moment, you know, and so we want to live accordingly. And I've had the thought oftentimes, like, if I knew that I could, would only live for one day, or if I knew that the Lord would come back tomorrow, how would I live today? And then I, I, I process that and then think about, well, how am I living today? And then, and then compare the two. I hope you get my point there. If, if we have this, this sense of, of the imminent return of Jesus Christ, it will move us to live a certain way. Okay, now the second application is in, in verses 8 and 9, and it has to do with worship. It says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Now, verse 8, it starts with the word kago. It's, it's a, kind of a compound word from, from kai and and ego, I, and I. And like in verse 7, it means now that there's a, a change of speakers. And now it's John speaking. And he, John also testifies to the truthfulness of, of this revelation. And, and, but then, he, I believe he was kind of overcome by what it was that he saw. And, and he fell down at the feet of this, this angel uh, and who, who showed him these things. And uh, I believe that worship was the right response to that. But in a state of amazement, um, John inadvertently worships 
<laughs> the wrong object. And, and I, I am absolutely certain that John knew that he was not supposed to worship an angel, but I, I think he was just overwhelmed by what he saw, perhaps caught up in the, caught up in the moment. Uh, it it kind of reminds me, you may remember the story of the transfiguration when Peter you know, sees Christ in his transfiguration and, and then immediately afterwards, Peter says, oh, oh Lord, I, I, I think we should build three tabernacles, you know, you, for you and for Moses and Elijah. And I'm sure Jesus was looking at him, Peter, Peter. You know. and, I, and I think this is kind of what was happening with John here. He was overwhelmed, and it, the, the proper response was for him to worship, but he, he fell at the feet of this angel, which was not proper for him to worship. Because we know that only, only God is to be worshipped. And we know that from Exodus 34, 14 and, and Matthew 4, 10. So the angel says, don't do that. And uh, he quickly reminded John that he also was a created being, just like, just like John. And, and he was a fellow servant, you know, along with the, the, the prophets and the other, other believers. You know, as, as Hebrews 1, 14 tells us about, about angels, it says angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. So this angel commands John to worship God. And, uh, you know, I, I really do believe that a good understanding of the book of Revelation will move us to worship God. And in fact, worship is a, is a major theme of this book of Revelation. You see that in, in uh, chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, uh, chapter 5, verses 8, and four, 8 through 14, for example. You know, and, and yes, it moves us to worship, and we are to worship God alone. And the Bible forbids the worship of any created thing. We are to worship, we are to worship the Creator, and as Jesus taught in, in Matthew 4.10, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. So we have the first two applications, obedience and then worship. And then the, the next application uh, or response to this, this teaching in, in Revelation is in verses 10 and 11. And it has to do with, with sharing the word, sharing the word that we are given. And it says this, Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll, because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. And, and so this, uh, this angel continues by, by telling John, do not seal up the words of the, the, the prophecy of this book. And what that tells us is this message is not something that is to be, to be hidden, to be kept secret. It's a message that is to be spread and is to be to taught. Um, and because it produces obedience and worship. And thankfully, you know, unlike Daniel, remember Daniel was told, to seal up uh, a prophecy in Daniel 8.26 and then again in Daniel 12. But John was told not to seal up the prophecy of these words of revelation. See, Jesus could return at any time and so we should be getting the word out. You know, every, every generation of Christians from John's day until now has lived in anticipation of our Lord's return. And so just the fact that this book is, is not to be sealed up, that would tell us that there's no hidden or secret meaning beyond the normal sense of the text. You know, if the, if the truth isn't clear and understandable to us, then, you know, then this command 
is, is nonsense. You know, if the plain, uh, normal understanding of Revelation uh, doesn't convey the meaning that God, that God intended, then the book would be sealed. It would be sealed, but it isn't sealed. God intended for us to understand it and to share this truth with others. So and if you remember back in the very beginning of the book of Revelation, John was told, write on a scroll what, what you see and send it to the seven churches. And that was in chapter 1, verse 11. So the message of, Revel of Revelation, that Jesus will return to bless his own and to judge the world, that message is just way too important for, for us not to, to share and not to spread. So it would be wrong for us not to get the word out. And you know that, that's one of the reasons it, it surprises me that there are teachers who are reluctant to, to teach the book of Revelation. It's something that we all should know because there are just some very wonderful applications in it for us. Now, first of all, this book exalts our Lord Jesus Christ. It is, after all, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you might remember uh, the, the Apostle Paul when he, when he was speaking to the Ephesian elders in Miletus. Uh, he, he told them in Acts 20, 27, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. And I, I like the New King James translation there of that verse when it speaks about the whole counsel of God. We are to proclaim the whole counsel of God. The book of Revelation falls within that spectrum of being part of the whole counsel of God. So th this, is a, this is a very clear reference the statement that Paul makes to, to um, God's will being revealed through his word. And so it would be wrong for us not to preach the book of Revelation along with the gospel, you know, because it's God's word. We, we need to know this divine story of history. And we, know, we need to know how it's going to end. And please, I hope you know that this is going to be a very, very happy ending. <laughs> For us, it's going to be so good. We get to spend eternity in heaven with God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, then the, the angel says something in, in this passage that seems to be, you know, like uh, out of place in this setting. He says, Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. And this, this, I believe, is what, what he's saying in this passage. Uh, you know, the way that people respond to, to God's truth is going, going to fix their eternal destinies. You know, those people who, who hear God's truth and continue to do wrong and vile things, they're going to remain in that state for the rest of eternity. And fortunately for us, those who do right and do what is holy, and this implies saving faith, by the way, but those, those who do right and, and what is holy, those, person are gonna, those people will remain that way for all of eternity. So those, you know, those who are righteous and holy in this life are going to be perfectly holy in their glorified bodies in heaven for eternity. And so the Bible very clearly teaches that people are going to have one of two destinies, either heaven or hell. And you know, when our Lord returns... Or if a person dies before that, that time, that person's character is going to be fixed forever. And so, you know, those people who respond to these warnings that are given to us in the book of Revelation are going to live forever in heaven. 
But those who fail to heed the warnings and who don't repent are going to remain forever in a sinful state. So the truth of the Bible, and this, including this book of Revelation, it has to be preached so that, that men and women can hear the truth while there's still time for them to repent because the Lord is coming soon. Now, the, the fourth um, application and response that I get from, from this passage is, is Christian service. And that's from verse 12. It says, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. And this is our Lord Jesus Christ speaking again. He repeats what he said in verse 7. Look, I am coming soon. And this again emphasizes the fact that his coming is imminent. It was the same truth that Jesus taught in Mark chapter 13, verses 33 to 37. And in that passage, he said this, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It is like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. When Jesus comes, he's going to bring his reward. He's going to give to each person according to, to what that person has done. You know, we believers are going to receive eternal rewards. They're going to be based on, you know, our, our faithfulness and serving Christ in this life. And our, our wor works are going to be tested someday. The Bible tells us that. And those, those works that survive that test are going to become eternal rewards for us. But, but one of the things that I've I noticed in the Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, that it says that the reward that we get, you know, those eternal rewards, basically are going to be greater abilities to serve God in eternity. You know, the greater our faithfulness in this life, the greater our opportunity to serve Him in heaven. And this is why, you know, that I believe that the, the Apostle John tells us in, in, in 2 John 8, he said, Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. And so I'd just like to, to wrap this up with a summary of the applications that we've talked about tonight and in this passage. The knowledge that our Lord Jesus Christ is going to return at any moment, that, that should lead us to live a life of obedience, a life of worship, you know, uh, of getting the, the good news out to everybody while we still have opportunity and to Christian service. And, you know, I, I would say this about those applications. What a wonderfully concise uh, summary of what our life in Christ is like. Expectantly waiting for our Lord Jesus Christ to return and living a life of obedience, worshiping Him, witnessing to other people, and serving our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for what you have shown us in this passage. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would just have a better sense, Lord, about, about living for you in the here and now, knowing, Lord, that you, you could come at any moment. 
So Lord God, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that, that you will be here soon and very soon. And Lord, I pray for each one of us, you grant us the grace, Lord, to live this way, to live a life of obedience, to serve you, to worship you, and to, to be sharers of, of your word, the saving gospel of Christ. And Lord, we ask for this grace in Christ's name. Amen.